Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, John 1. As we're journeying through John, we're in an interesting part. So we were covering John 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 last week, because it was just kind of an overview of where we were before all this coronavirus stuff hit. And today, I'd like to cover um, almost, well, nine verses, ten verses, nine verses, uh, John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. And this is primarily going to be about the ministry of John the Baptist. And this is the Apostle John. There's two different Johns, okay? There's John, the Apostle, whom Jesus loved, who's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he refers to John, he's referring to John the Baptist. I know you already knew that, but maybe, maybe you got them, you know, the wires crossed a little bit. Um, so I want you to pick this up with me in verse 19. And I, we're going to read. I'm going to make a few comments. I have a side verse I'd like for us to turn to in Deuteronomy. Uh, so be, you know, planning ahead. It's not going to be on the screen. You'll have to go back uh, to the Old Covenant, the Pentateuch. Um, but as we read, I'm going to make some comments and, and kind of just kind of maybe explain a little bit what's going on here. But I have w- only one thought that I want to bring today. The title of the message, Who Are You? I only have one thought today. Who are you? Right? So we're going to go through these verses. We're going to see who John is. We're going to see who Moses is, who Elijah is. But we, we want to leave here seeing who we are in light of who God says that we are. Okay? So that's, that's my secret agenda that I just told you about. <laughs> Verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Who are you? He's going to say it again, and this is the takeaway thought that I want us to ponder. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed... I'm not the Christ. That's the, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God, the seed that was promised way back in Genesis 3.15. He says, I'm not that. I'm not the awaited one. I'm not the one uh, who you're referring to. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now, Elijah was a prophet. Remember, Elijah, you can read about him in Kings. Uh, He had that showdown with uh, all the false prophets of Baal. Uh, He brought fire down from heaven. He also raised someone from the dead. Um, Elijah also started the school of the prophets, if you remember that. Uh, So he was kind of the prophet of prophets. Elijah also, incidentally, was the one that appeared with Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, in uh, Matthew's chapter 17, you could go to Matthew 17 and start reading from verse 1, and you'll, I think verse 3, you'll see that Moses and, and Elijah appeared. So, but Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets, okay? And so when you read in the Mount of Transfiguration, they go up, they see Moses, representative of the law, the old covenant. They see Elijah, representative of the prophets, And what was the ministry of the law? It was to point out that you're a sinner, right? It was to bring God's holiness, to reveal our unholiness. And the the Israelites agreed to be under that contract, the covenant of the law. 
And then God would send prophets after the law was done. Moses wrote the law under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But after the law was canonized, the prophets came. They didn't add other laws to the law. In the law, it says don't add to this law. Right? Just like at the end of Revelation, it says don't add to the prophecy. Well, in the law, it said the same thing. Don't add to the law. It's done. So the prophets would come and remind the Israelites, hey, you guys agreed to keep the law and you're not keeping the law. Here's the consequences of not keeping the law. Right? And God lists those out in Deuteronomy 27, 28, and 29. And so it's almost as if, if you think about branches of government, Moses would have been the legislative branch, the one that writes the law. The prophets would have been the judicial branch. They're judging the people. God is the executive branch. He, he sends the judgment and he sends the consequences. And so when they go up to the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, Jesus shows that he's the light. He's the light. He's the light and the life. He's revealing who he is. And they fall down and they worship and Moses and Elijah appear and they say, let's build a tabernacle for the head of the law. Let's build a tabernacle for the head of the prophets. And let's, let's build one for you, Jesus. But when they were worshiping, they closed their eyes. And when they opened their eyes, the Bible says they saw Jesus only. And my, that really speaks to me because it's not about the law. It's not about the prophets. It's about Christ alone. Because the law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. He's the point. In the law and the prophets, there was types, pictures, and shadows. But when the substances come, when all that they were pointing to came, and John's going to say later on, we'll get to it next week, behold the Lamb of God which comes to take away the sin of the world. That's the point. The law couldn't take away sin. The law couldn't make you righteous. The law couldn't make you holy and acceptable. The only thing could would be faith alone and Christ alone. And they were looking forward to the lamb that was to come. We look backward to the lamb that already came. But I want to point out that um, my breath flipped the page of this, of my Bible. <laughs> You're like, yeah, strong breath. Woo. Um, but... So Elijah, if we're, if we're here, they're asking, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? Now, I'm not going to turn there. I said I was going to have us turn there. But if you'll mark down somewhere in your notes or keep a mental picture, if you were to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says, there's going to be one that's raised up like unto me. He's the prophet. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And if you look at the life of Moses and the life of Jesus, very parallel. Almost murdered at birth, taken away to Egypt, raised up to be a leader, you know, um, performed miracles. But he wasn't the prophet. They were looking for the prophet. And so they're asking, they're asking John the Baptist, okay, are you, are you the head of the prophets? Are you Elijah? No, I'll upgrade you. Are you the one prophet that should come? And he's like, nope. Not him either. Verse 22. Then they said to him, well, who are you? And I want you to keep that phrase in mind because I'm asking you, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? That they may give an answer to those that sent him. What do you say about yourself? He kind of knew who he was. He's going to quote Isaiah chapter 40. I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of our Lord. All capitals. 
This is a good verse for the deity of Christ. Is he just a man or, or is he God in the flesh? And he says, I'm coming to make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Now, those who were sent uh, were from the Pharisees. That was the religious right-wing sect of, this, uh, of the group of the Jews. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Deuteronomy 18, the prophet that was prophesied that was to come. And John answered, saying to them, I baptize with water, but there one stands among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. Or lose. Not lose, loose. These things were done in Bethbara, um, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. I had the privilege to go to the Jordan, um, and I saw people being baptized in the Jordan in the Middle East. And I'm like, that's a lot of faith. That water is disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it's all gra- it's green. It doesn't flow. It's not like how it used to be, uh, for sure. And people, archaeologists know that. Everyone knows that. It, but, you know, I, I guess it's cool to be baptized in the Jordan, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but, look, you can be baptized with water in every river in the world until all the tadpoles and fish know you by first name but if you're not born again that doesn't make you a christian you realize that right getting baptized with water doesn't make you a christian receiving christ into your heart by faith alone through grace alone makes you a christian and then you get baptized in whatever place you want we have one here you know and that that, i guarantee you that's cleaner than the jordan i i promise you (laughs) um but his main point was this. He baptizes with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Spirit. And you'll, re- you'll find later on in John chapter 4, uh, they're having this discussion. Hey, Jesus is making more disciples and baptizing more. And, but Jesus said, I don't baptize anyone with water. Jesus never baptized anyone with water. Isn't that interesting? You want to know why? Because his baptism was not from water. His baptism was the baptism of the Spirit. And that's what saves you, right? Being immersed fully in the life of Christ. Um, so let's pray. And then I'll, I'll explain a few more things, but we'll get right to the main point, And then we'll, we'll be kind of brief, right? We'll just be kind of short and sweet, just uh, like centering on this one thought. Who are you? Who are we? Heavenly Father, as we ask this question, who we are, I trust you'll give us the answer. We'll look to you. Uh, We won't look to anything else. We won't outsource this to (laughs) anything other than the real source of life. Uh, You created us, Lord. We're in your image. We're your children. And so just confirm to us our true identity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is John the Baptist? Well, he was the elder cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ by six months. Uh, He was later deemed by Jesus by saying, there's none greater born among women than that of John. You ever catch that phrase that Jesus says? I'm like, what up, Jesus? I didn't think you had had any preference going on. And now all of a sudden, John's the bee's knees and he's the stud muffin. Why? Because he... That could cause you to say, well, if, okay, he ate five locusts a day, then I'll eat ten locusts a day. I remember in Bible college, I had a buddy that worked at an alpaca uh, place, 
and um, he had alpaca skins, and he would give them out to people. And in the, in the men's dorm, it was men's only, uh, he would get out of the shower, and he would wear his alpaca with nothing under it, and he would say he was John the Baptist, and he would preach with his alpaca <laughs> lambskin-type uh, britches. Anyways, yeah. Wild and crazy in Bible college. You got to watch out. Whoa. <laughs> um, so... Who was John the Baptist? He was a crazy man, just, you know, often perceived by the religious culture, uh, off proclaiming the name of the Lord in the wilderness, eating locusts. And Jesus says there's none greater born amongst women than that of John. But later Christ said that those who are the least in the kingdom are greater still. Okay, now you, now you level it out, Jesus. Okay, now I'm starting to get it. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. When did the New Testament start? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1? Nope. There can't be a New Testament unless there's the death of the testator, the Bible says in Hebrews. So when Jesus says, hey, before he goes to the cross, he introduces the Lord's Supper and he says, take this cup, it's the blood of my New Testament, which is shed for you. Well, was it shed? No, not until the cross. So when does the New Testament start? At the death of Christ, not the birth of Christ. That's why Jesus was born under the old covenant. He lived under the law. He lived by the law. He preached under the law. He died under the law. And then he rose again, giving a new covenant. So those people that receive Jesus after the cross get what? Total forgiveness. They get forgiven. They get filled. And now they're placed into the kingdom and now they're greater than anyone in the Old Testament. Why? What makes you so great? Not who you are, but who is in you. That's what makes you great. They were, Jesus was never living and abiding and dwelling permanently in any believer before the cross. Why? Because of sin. The blood of animals couldn't take away sin. That's why Jesus came to take away sin once and for all. Once he forgave and removed our sin, he was able then legally and lawfully to fill us with his life and his Holy Spirit and to seal us into the day of redemption. Amen? That's why it's greater. So you could look back in admiration towards any of the heroes of the faith. And actually, if you think about it, it they pulled off a lot without the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They had God's presence with them, but they didn't have God's presence in them. He would come upon people for certain missions. You know, Samson is a great illustration. David prays, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It was an on and off again, uh, you know, uh, relationship. But now this side of the cross and the new covenant, what makes us greater is the presence of God, our identity in Christ, not our activity, our, identif our identity. So, um. The difference between John the Baptist and all before him, and I, this might be a slide, is location, location, location. Put this quote up, if you would, Michael, Steve Pettit. I've quoted this before, and I, I'll probably quote it again, and I don't even know if it's original with him, but uh, he's the one I heard it from first. The most important questions you may ask is, who is God and where is God? That's really good. You could just ponder that for a little bit. Who is God? And where is God? Where is God to you? Is he in the Middle East still? Is that, I just had a conversation with someone yesterday or the day before that just got back from Israel. I never said that I went. 
I couldn't get a word in edgewise with this person. 45 minutes telling me all about communism and the Middle East. And um, for all they knew, I just lived in my office. You know, I don't know anything. <laughs> okay. Just listening and listening and listening. Um, but they felt the presence of God greater in Israel than anywhere else. Okay. Interesting. Wherever I go, wherever you go, if you have the Holy Spirit, God and his presence goes with you. Believe that. Believe that. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the fact, Jack. Right? There, there's no holy place on earth. You're the holy place. Why? Not because you're holy. I know you're not. You don't act that way. I don't either. You know what makes you holy is the presence of God. What made the holy of holies the holy place was not the furniture, was not the architecture, was not the gold, was not the badger skin, was not the Ark of the Covenant. What made the holy of holies holy was the Shekinah glory of God that would show up. When it wasn't there, it was just, just furniture. What makes it holy is the presence of God. What makes you and I holy is the presence of God. Amen. So the most important question you may ask is, where is God and who is God? But let's ask some other questions. Let's make it personal. As great as John was, let's ask the question, and another utmost important question we could ask is, well, then who are you? Who are you? Are you, <laughs> are you who you say that you are? Are you who the world says that you are? Are you who your skin color or culture say that you are? Are you who your friends say that you are? Are you who your country says that you are? You know, there's countries that give people bad identities. There's a whole country called Germany, not too long ago, told people who they were and who other people were. Are you who your country says that you are? Um, are you who your, uh, your spouse says that you are? Right? Are you who your kids say that you are? You know, you're the worst person ever. Why, 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 why? Why am I the worst person ever? My kids have never said that, but I've seen it on TV, right? Take their phone away, and you become the worst person on the planet. Are you who your past failures say that you are? You're just a loser. You, you're just a quitter. Uh, you're incompetent. Uh, you're, you're a, you know, you're a failure. Are you who you're, uh, you are based on your wealth, your success, your health, your body mass index? Is that who you are? That could change. Your beauty could change. All of it could change. Are you who, uh, you're, and this is, this is one I struggle with, are you who your invisible three-piece suit wearing, KJV tootin', tootin' uber Christian who sits on your shoulder condemning you all the time? Is that who you are? The failure by this, this Christian that sits on your shoulder saying, never enough, not enough, you can't measure up, not enough, not enough. Are you who your social media profile says that you are, liked or unliked, right? Or are you who God says that you are? Let's look at this verse in Proverbs. For as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so is he, so are they. 
So what you think about yourself is who you really are. But is that who you really are, what you think about yourself? Right? And I want to say it this way. If we believe incorrectly, we will behave incorrectly. If we believe biblically, we will behave biblically. I'll illustrate it, I'll, I'll illustrate it in ways that I could comprehend. For example, let me illustrate it using the ugly duckling. Okay? So you know the story of the ugly duckling. Who was the ugly duckling? Was he a duck? No, duck, 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 swan. <laughs> um, but when he was with the ducks, he's like, man, I, I don't fit in. I don't know who I am. I'm trying to do duck things and making fun of me. And it wasn't until he found out his true identity, that who he really was, that he started acting accordingly, right? He started acting correctly when he believed correctly. Do you see the point? I know it's silly, but it's profound. <laughs> I have a cat, or my wife has a cat, um, named Mr. Pickles, okay? I don't like Mr. Pickles that much. It's not a secret. But if Mr. Pickles decided to not poop on my pillow, not mess around with my car, um, not uh, tear the screen uh, to get in the house, uh, like four screens are wrecked. Um, and this is a rental house too, so we got to fix that. Um, and decided, I mean, Mr. Pickles just, just wreaks havoc, is, is what he does. And he wakes people up at night if, he's, if he d wants to go out or come in. He just, he's the alarm, right? But if Mr. Pickles said, you know what? I know. Um, I'm going to be a cool cat. I'm going to go on walks. I'm going to go to the beach with you. I want to play frisbee. Um, I want to come when you call me. I want to hang out. I want to be your best friend. And I'm going to start barking uh, and being cool, like Meatloaf, for example, your St. Bernard, who you had to leave in Ohio. Um, I'm going to try to be like Meatloaf. Even though Meatloaf's 220 pounds and I'm like a merely scrawny, skanky, wimpy, like two pounds, um, I'm going to bark. I'm going to walk on a leash. I'm going to do... Look, Mr. Pickles could act like Meatloaf, but is Mr. Pickles Meatloaf? The answer is no. So <laughs> you're... Your beliefs affect your behavior. Your identity uh, affects your activity. So I'm going to read, read to you. We're wrapping this up. Read to you a quote before I give you another quote. You could quote me on that. So I'm going to quote who God deemed uh, the, the wisest person uh, on the earth because God granted him this wisdom. So King Solomon says this. I'm reading a quote about a quote so I could give you some quotes. You could quote me on that. Okay. So, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he's going to summarize everything. And he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Uh, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words and quotes of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly uh, fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, uh, beware of anything beyond these. Of making of many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. So I, I'm gathering some quotes. I'm quoting this to give you some quotes is why I quoted that, right? And 
We could quote Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard. We could quote Plato, Aristotle. Um, we could quote uh, Nietzsche. I don't know why you would, but you could quote Blaise Pascal, A.W. Tozer, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, even King Solomon, as we just did. Uh, these are some, you know, great intellects of intellects. We could quote them. But today I wanted to arrange, as a preacher would, some quotes from one of the greats that seems to relate, who says what he meant and meant what he says, and I'm going to quote to you to help you in your identity, the late, great Dr. Seuss. And I quote, Today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Who are you? That's true, right? We're asking the question, who are you? I like this next one. Be who you are and say what you mean because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. (laughs) Think on that for a sec. Now, if you could pull up the picture, there's a book I really want to land on, Horton Hears a Who. Uh, Jim Carrey did a movie of this, by the way. Uh, It's very funny, very family-friendly. There's a lot of depth in Dr. Seuss. Neil, okay. (laughs) You're bringing us um, uh, elementary school examples. But I I want you to know that in 1953... Dr. Seuss visited Japan. This is after uh, World War II concluding. He visited Japan to research an article for Life magazine. He wanted to write about the effects of the war and post-war efforts on Japanese children. With the help of uh, Nakamura, dean of Doshisha University in Kyoto, Seuss went to schools all over Japan and asked kids to draw what they wanted to be when they grew up. What Seuss saw made a deep impression. And when he returned to America, he started work on Horton Hears a Who. The book is dedicated to Nakamura, and he said in an interview, Japan was just emerging. The people were voting for the first time, running their own lives. And the theme was obvious, and he quotes, a person's a person no matter how small. So let me give you the premise of the book. Horton Hears a Who. Who's read it or seen the movie? See, many of you. Okay. So the premise of the book is Horton the Elephant. He hears a voice come from a small speck. So when, when the speck uh, spoke back, he found that there were people living on this little speck in a whole town called Whoville. Whoville. Okay. Who are you? It's kind of interesting. When Horton asked the people of Whoville who they were, the mayor of Whoville replied back and said, we are who's of Whoville and that's who we are. Horton tried to reason with his kangaroo buddy. I know this sounds stupid. (laughs) But she she want none of that. But she didn't listen uh, to anything. And she had a kid in the pouch too, by the way. Um, And she said this, basically, well, you can't believe in anything that you can't see or hear. They don't exist. And so he has this very interesting dialogue. He said, well, what if if there's something bigger than us, and they're looking down on us? Because an elephant's kind of the biggest thing around, right? And he's like, but wait, what if there's something bigger than elephants? Does that mean that they don't exist? Kind of some apologetics in there from 
um, from Dr. Seuss. Meanwhile, a bunch of crazy monkeys, though, they stole the clover that Horton placed uh, the town of Whoville on. He was trying to keep them safe. And Horton had placed all the townspeople of Whoville on it, and Horton promised to protect them and to keep them safe. And he said, I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. An elephant is faithful 100%. So Horton urged the town to come together in order to prove their existence and to have their small voices heard. And so the who's who of Whoville rallied the people and said, and I quote from the book, this is the mayor of Whoville, uh, this, cried the mayor, is your town's darkest hour. Who does that sound like? World War II. Churchill. Um, The time for all who's who have blood that is red to come to the aid of their country, he said. We've got to make noises in greater amounts, so open your mouth, lad, for every voice counts. Do you see the equality going on here? This is profound. I know he's teaching to kids, but he, I mean, this could teach to people burning buildings right now. Could it not? The application, I think, for us is we could learn so much of a person's value and worth no matter how big or small or where they're from. A who is a who, and that's who they are. But who are you? Where does your value come from? Better yet, Not where or what determines your value, but who determines your value and worth. I've already said we are who God says that we are. So do we know who God says that we are, even if our feelings do not match the facts? You might feel like you're rejected. You might feel like you're unforgiven. You might feel like God has no mercy or love left for you because you promised not to do something and you went ahead and did it anyways right? You might feel like you've exhausted the unexhaustible God. You might feel like he's come to his wit's end or you've, you've passed the, what, um, 490 mark time or whatever, the, the 70 times 7. You might feel like that, but what do the facts say versus what do your feelings say, right? And I think a lot of times we project our theology based on how we feel rather than what the facts are. So I'm just trying to ask, well, who are you? And who, who or what determines who you are? You? Really? How was that last week versus this week? <laughs> How is that when you have a bad day? How is that when you have a good day? Oh, God loves you? It's like, it's like you know, I'm not going to do anything, but he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Oh, man, that must be true. <laughs> We're superstitious. We go based on our feelings. But all I'm trying to say is your value and worth, because you're a who, no matter what. Let's just kind of look at the prodigal son. Whose child was the prodigal son when he was in the far country indulging in wine, women, and song? His activity, I'm I'm not condoning it, I'm not approving it. His activity did not bring honor to his identity, but whose son was he? Was he a pig even though he was in the pig's pen? So here's, here's the conclusion to the matter. If we knew and believed who God says that we were, maybe we would behave like who we really are. Here's who we really are. Let's just kind of conclude with this. We are holy 
and made in the image of God. These aren't in any particular order, by the way. We are sanctified and set apart unto Christ. We are righteous. We have been gifted righteous. We have been made righteous. We have the righteousness of Christ. We are children of the king and king's kid fit for the kingdom. You couldn't make yourself fit for the kingdom. He had to do it for you. We are seated in Christ and sealed right now in heavenly places, even though you don't feel like it. We are the temple of God and the holy place where he dwells, even though we don't act very holy often. We are saints, right? We are justified by his blood and by his grace and mercy. We will never be left. We will never be forsaken. Um, We are written in the Lamb's book of life, and he doesn't have a holy eraser. We are joint heirs of Christ and more than conquerors in Christ through him that loved us. We are sons and daughters uh, and one in Christ and one with each other. We are the bride of Christ, never to be abandoned, cheated on, or divorced. We are the apple of God's eye, his purchased possession. We are loved with an unending, unconditional, unmerited, undeserved, unmatched, infinite, divinely radical love from God, who is love and loved us even while we were yet enemies. That's a great love. He started it. We love him because he first loved us. We are forgiven and filled with his limitless, eternal, everlasting life. And I just want to conclude with this. We are Christians. That's who we are. What makes you a Christian? Because you're in church? Because you carry a Bible? Because you have the title of pastor? Because you went to seminary? Many people that don't have Christ have done that. What makes you a Christian is Christ. Right? What makes you an electrician? is working with electricity. (laughs) What makes you a politician is identifying with politics. What makes you a Christian is identifying with, take away the I-A-N, the suffix, Christ. Christ. Christ in you. So in conclusion, they didn't know who the greatest of prophets was, those that were coming to question John the Baptist. Who are you? Maybe John didn't even know about himself either. I mean, he quoted Isaiah. He said, I'm the one preparing the way of the Lord and, you know, the way of the highway of our God in the wilderness. But did you remember that when John preached out against Herod's um, uh, divorce and remarriage, when he preached out against that and, and then he got sent to prison, about ready to get his head chopped off, they were visiting him. And John the Baptist asked this question, is this he that should come or do we look for another? I often pondered that. The greatest of the prophets was doubting. Hey, there's apostles that were in the boat. We're like, we're going to lose our life. Jesus is asleep. And they said, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Yeah, even the greatest doubt. It's human, right? So he knew he was, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't know who you are. Um, So maybe John didn't know that after all. I think that's normal, by the way. I don't say that in a condemning way at all. I say that that's a very normal thing. Um, But we have the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the God of the Word in our very hearts. We can know who we are because God tells us who we are throughout the Scriptures. He tells us all over the place. We can know who we are because God tells us who we are. And I guess the challenge for us 
is to simply believe it. You ever feel like you're a Christian atheist or a Christian agnostic? I know that sounds like an antithesis or an oxymoron, but you ever feel like an unbelieving believer? You're like, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't really believe God for much else. <laughs> I believe my sins are forgiven, but I don't believe I'm righteous. I don't believe I'm justified. I don't believe I'm accepted in the beloved. I don't believe I'm seated in heavenly places. I don't believe my name's written. I mean, I, I think I'm going. I kind of hope so, but I don't really believe it. You ever feel like that? Like Christian atheists, right? The children of Israel had the faith to get out of Egypt, but they didn't have the faith to go into the promised land. You ever feel like that? Yeah, I had the faith of the blood, blood of the lamb. That's what they did but they didn't have the faith of God to provide and protect them in the promised land. So they died in the wilderness. Many Christians just wander in the wilderness, their whole Christian experience, murmuring, complaining. Yeah, they believed that they could be let out, but they don't believe they could be let in. So they don't live what the abundant life God intended, the life that you're saved by grace and you live by grace. You know in the wilderness is where they got the law? Many Christians just stay right there at Sinai. They're like, I guess it's the Christian experience. It's the best it's going to get. There's so much more. If he parted the Red Sea, could he not part the Jordan? And if you look at the Jordan today, you're like, dang, that thing's small and ugly and murky. You know? <laughs> so he parted the Red Sea. Could he not part the Jordan? That's what they had to cross over to go over to Jericho, by the way. That's what I'm referring to. You read that in Joshua. Um, so... Let's be the church that believes who we are according to what God says. Let's do this. Let's stand and let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to be dismissed. Knowing, looking around, you'd say, you know what? I don't even know if I am a Christian. I don't even know if I died today that I would spend eternity in heaven with God. I'd like to know, but I do not know. That's where you start. Anyone like that in here? No one looking around. Just be kind of courteous to other people. Sometimes it's sensitive. But um, I'm just looking out of courtesy for no one else. So you'd say, you know what? I've, I've been in church. Uh, you know, I've been in religion. But I, I've never known if I'm a Christian and if I would spend eternity in heaven with God. But I'd like to know that. Anyone in here? Could you raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you and pray with you. Anyone like that? Just raise your hand. Okay, if, you're, if, you're, if you don't know that uh, but, and you don't want to raise your hand for whatever reason, I totally get that. I didn't raise my hand in church either. I was in church and in Bible college, and I never raised my hand. I didn't want anyone to know that I wasn't saved. You know where I got saved? My dad's uh, living room on his floor after, after I just moved back from uh, wherever. And so um, you could get saved anywhere. It doesn't have to be in church. The more important thing is that you have a relationship with Christ. So I'd encourage you, if you do not know that, just go home today and pray in your, pray in your car, pray in your room. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Will you come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sin? And will you, will you just give me the free gift of eternal life? And he will do that, as he promised. And Christian, if you don't know who you are, as the question were asked, my challenge to you is to dig into the Bible. Let God tell you who you are. Right? Let God tell you who you are. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank, you, I thank you that we could do life together, that we could have your life, and that we could go out into this community and be your life. Um, 
And I pray we do just that. If we're confused on who we are, Lord, I pray that you would just make the crooked things straight. Uh, Tell us who we are. Reveal it to us and help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.